men, women, boys and girls, children in the womb, children out of the womb, children crying, children laughing, children smiling, a house of God full of children. That's what we need. A house full of children. Children. God's most treasured commodity. The most endangered species on the planet. Children. And I urge every family that can add another arrow to your quiver to do that while the biological clock runs. Do it. You'll be grateful you did it. Someday you'll look back and say, I'm glad I was in a church that beat the drum for children. For children. That's children with a capital C. So we want to welcome everyone here today. My goodness gracious, we are so blessed to have every one of you here. And to our brothers and our sisters who are going to rumble with us. They're going to turn on their, their uh, electric machine and worship with us today. And we want to welcome them. North, South, East, and West, Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Germanic, Gothic, European, believing Israelites. We pray for all men and women, boys and girls in this body today. We pray for all of our covenant family Everyone in the part of the Israelite believing community across America and the Western world, let us pray. God our Father, we are humbled before the majesty of your name and your kingdom. We lift up our voices today in adoration and praise that you have preserved a remnant of your people. Living God, amid all the problems that we face, you have preserved a God-fearing, Bible-believing, blood-washed, spirit-filled people. God in heaven, bless them, wherever they are, all across this land. And I pray today, Father in heaven, O merciful God, be with our governor, Greg Abbott, in Texas. Amen. Be with the National Guard who stand vigilant on that border. Be with the trucker convoy. Amen. Now over 100 miles long. Hallelujah. To open the eyes of the American people to the invasion of our land. Amen. God bless every patriot. Every Christian, patriot particularly, save our country. Lord God, save 
our homeland, a place for your remnant people. Help us, Father. I pray now that you'll bless our Bible lesson today, that this congregation may grow in understanding and knowledge of the God who has brought them here, gathered them here, who has brought them through fire, tribulation, and all kinds of difficulties, and they are here today. By the grace of God, we humbly thank you, Father in heaven. We know that, Lord God, the Word of God says that except it be given him from heaven, a man can know nothing. And we humbly acknowledge that. Father in heaven, we know so little about a God who is so great. So please intercede for us now with the Holy Spirit. May the person of the Holy Spirit be poured out upon this Bible lesson and upon the Word of God that we may grow in understanding of the God we love and serve. And this we pray in Christ's blessed holy name. Amen. Amen. I want to say how wonderful it is to have this congregation available this morning and how grateful we are for your presence. I'd like to have you turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Our lesson today, we're in a continuing examination of an area in our home Bible study program called Christology. And we're trying to fill in the gaps of that home Bible study program. This is one of a series of lessons that will eventually appear as a chapter in a booklet. So I am grateful to each of you today to join with me in a subject entitled The Trinity in Creation, Redemption, and Salvation. Now the three greatest areas of your life theologically among others, is to understand the creation, understanding the redemption, and the salvation which flows out of redemption. If you nail these three areas, you're on your way to sound biblically speaking, sound biblical theology. And our body of believers here today may not realize how important it is to have a proper and a correct belief, belief in the Word of God. We dare not allow our congregation to shipwreck because of unsound biblical teaching. Everybody's got a Bible, hold one up. You got a Bible, you need to be anchored to this Bible. But you need to know what's in this Bible. Now we're looking 
at a very important subject today, and we're going to start in Jeremiah chapter 9. If everyone would turn to Jeremiah chapter number 9, and I want to thank young men, young men, listen carefully. Please open your Bibles, everybody. Boys and girls, open your Bibles. We're going to pass out a study sheet today. I have no idea how, long, how far we'll go into it. But we're going to go as far as time allows us to go. But we're going to begin with what I believe may be two of the most important verses in the Bible regarding your personal walk through this world. That need is to know the God that you love and serve. You need to know the God that you love, that you serve, and that you're depending upon for eternity. Hear me. We're depending upon eternity and where we will be based on our understanding of God. So let's read Jeremiah 20, chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 together. Now, the word Lord appears, is it three or four times? The word Lord is in capital letters for all the young people here. You need to know that when the word Lord appears in the King James Bible in capital letters, it is the Tetragrammaton. Amen. It is Exodus 3.14, I am that I am. Now because the King James Bible translators, all 47, looked carefully at those four Hebrew consonants, they decided upon Jehovah as the name of God. We're not opposed to people who have another choice. And some people use Yahweh. But we use Jehovah has three syllables, three is completeness, and seven letters, spiritual perfection. Now I'm going to use Jehovah to start with. Afterward, I'll use the word Lord. But everybody knows it's the Tetragrammaton. So here we go, together, out loud. Boys and girls, are you with me? Thus saith Jehovah, let not the wise man. Now stop. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let's read on. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth, glorieth in this, that he understandeth and knoweth, I am the Lord, which exercised loving kindness and judgment. Judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things 
I delight, saith Jehovah. Now, all of us, if you are a Christian, you have an obligation to understand and know all the Bible teaches us and reveals to us about the one true God. That is our duty as Christians. So let me say it this way. If somebody says, who is God? Do you know that only Bible-believing Christians can answer that question? Do you know why? Because only the Bible will define who God is so that we may understand Him and receive His salvation. If you gathered all the religions of the world together, together and had a representative, and we said, what is God? What is God? Well, He's the Creator. You would not be wrong. Do you know that every religion in the world believes there is a God? Now, they have different ways of looking at Him, naming Him. But they all believe, somehow, that there is a God. So if we say today to ourselves, what is God? Well, God is the Creator and the visible world around us that we exercise and see with our five senses confirm His existence. We see the trees, the mountains, the oceans, the plains, the butterflies, the birds that sing. There's a thousand ways that we can prove God and never open the pages of the Bible. We know what God is by His creation and by His marvelous demonstration of His power. We know that God in one second could end life on this planet. Why doesn't He? Because God is good. God is benevolent. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God knows what you're going to think in the morning at 8 o'clock. God knows how many ants are crawling on every anthill in the world now. There is nothing that God does not know. There is nothing you can think of that God does not know. God knows every detail there is to know about anything. There is nothing you can think of that God does not know. God needs to learn nothing. He knows everything. How big is your God? Well, different religions have different sizes for God. But Christians look at God in what He is, and they know that He's all-powerful, He's all-knowing, He's everywhere at all times in all places.
If there's an Israelite praying in a log cabin on the side of a hill in Austria, he's there. If he hears a prayer in this building, he's here. God is everywhere at all times, in all places. He knows everything. There is nothing that he does not know. There are no secrets that can be kept from God. He knows every corner of our hearts. He knows all the darkness that we may be afraid to reveal to anyone. But God knows it. You cannot run from God. You cannot hide from God. The Psalm 139, David says, Though I make my bed in hell, God will be there. And though I ascend to the highest heaven, there I will find God. Now, we can't run from God, and we can't escape from God. We can't hide from God. Maybe we better come clean with God and make things right with Him. Now, this is where Christianity differs from all the rest of the religions. The moment we say who God is, nature tells us what He is. He's the creator. He's the designer of the most marvelous universe one could imagine. So He's a designer. He's a creator. And everybody knows that by what they see, hear, taste, touch, and can smell in certain cases. But let's graduate to who God is. And this is where we need the Bible. This is why you are called to be a Christian. That you might know and understand the God we call Lord, Yahweh, or Jehovah, and some people use a half a dozen or a dozen other ways that they feel is better. But here's what we need to know. The Hebrew tetragrammaton is the essence or the being of God. And Exodus chapter 33 verse 20 says, No one has ever looked at his face and lived. John 1.18 says that no man has ever seen God. The only begotten Son in the bosom of the Father, Jesus Christ, has declared Him. The more you know about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the more you will know about God. For Jesus is God who came down to earth to save His people. Because this infinite God that we love, whose face we cannot see, demands absolute righteousness. Hear me, church. 
God is holy. And only holiness can stand in His sight. That's why no one can look upon God and live. Now within the being or the essence or the nature of this one God. Now I'm, I'm using terms here that are important. Within the one being, or sometimes that's called the essence of God, or it can be called the nature of God. It makes God who He is. And we know more about God because we can open the Bible and let the Bible teach us who God is. And God is triune in His being, His essence, or His nature. I didn't say three beings, or three essences, or three natures. That's tritheism. We don't worship three gods. We believe in one God who has revealed Himself in three persons. Now that's not strange, church. Hear me now. Every man and woman in this congregation has a body, a soul, and a spirit. But you're only one person. So in the unity of your being, you're just one. But you're also triune in your nature, in your being. Because you are body, soul, and spirit. There's no one here today that can be emptied of their spirit and still live. And there's no one here today that will be praying, singing a hymn, or even reading from the Bible without the soul, which is the intellect, the will, and the emotion. And there's no one here today that if you had, not, if you had no physical body would be here. Now why am I saying that? I'm saying that because the Bible teaches us that we are made in His image and after His likeness. And God is triune in His nature. We are made in His image after His likeness. We too are triune in His nature. Correction, in our nature. In who we are. We are one person with a spirit, a soul, and a body. Now, question, do all parts of who we are work together? They do. Our spirit was active by the prayers heard in this building today. Amen. That was spiritual. If you had an ear to hear the prayer and it moved you, that's because your spirit moved you. Not your intellect, your spirit. If you are looking closely at Jeremiah 9, he says that they might know thee, understand thee. As in Jeremiah 23 and 24, chapter 9. So, Church, when we say 
who God is, we're going to define God in a way that eliminates the Muslim world. Islam will run from you if you define who God is. People locked up in Judaism will run from you. They all believe there's a God, but they deny that this God has revealed himself in human flesh. Hear this. Christianity is the only religion in the world where God becomes man to save his children and for, for the reason that God demands something that no one can ever fulfill. God requires perfection in a sacrifice, a sinless, blameless sacrifice. And no one could be found to fit that need. So God himself, God himself, this one holy eternal God, descended. God is transcended. He's transcendent. He's above all. But he transcended the trans, he transcended from above down to this earth to do what he required to be done to make a way back for fallen man to be redeemed and to one day restore the creation, paradise, and live in his kingdom forever. So that's where we are. If you'll take your worksheet out today, we're going to look now, and uh, we're on the front cover of the worksheet that says the Trinity in creation, redemption, and salvation. So we've said here now that the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the ground and foundation for understanding the mystery and marvel of creation, redemption, and our personal salvation. Now may I say that there are many theologians abounding today, both in and out of the remnant, who believe that redemption is for Israel, salvation is for the rest of the world. Now that is believed by many people, and you've worshipped with some of them. And I'm not here to judge anybody, but I'm here to tell you that that is absolutely unbiblical. Redemption is how you secure salvation. Redemption is the means by which your salvation is made available. So salvation is the appropriation of the redemption that was secured by the grace of God through the meritorious sacrifice of Christ for the people that God chose from before the foundation of the world. So before the creation of the world and the beginning of measurable time, 
one true and living God in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, ordained and determined the work of creation, the promise of redemption, and the unconditional covenant of promise made with Abraham by grace, and how this redemption would be appropriated in salvation to everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. So that's important. We drop down to the third paragraph. This lesson will rest on the following premises, each of which is a cornerstone in understanding God, His Word, and our understanding of the communion and relationship that we have with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So again, from Jeremiah, let him that glorieth glory in this. If anyone has a reason to rejoice today, it will be because you understand and know that the great I am that I am, which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, accomplishes that through the triune nature of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Very, very important. So let's summarize now. Number one, boys and girls, we can say with great assurance there is one uncreated, self-existing, eternal God that we know as the great I am that I am. Whatever name you choose to label that term with in Exodus 3.14. That is the great I am that I am, but he's unknowable. Now listen, he's incomprehensible except as God revealed him to Moses or to Joshua or to members of the judges. No one, not even Moses, not even Joshua, no one ever looked at the great I am that I am in the Old Testament and lived. No one ever knew how to approach that incomprehensible God until the arrival of Jesus. The Messiah that was to come, prophesied to come. The Bible tells us and teaches us that Jesus is the express image. Listen, Jesus, the express image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 of Jesus, the Bible says, who is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 says that. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says Jesus is 
the brightness of His glory, the brightness of the great I am that I am, the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person. I'm in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. The express image of His person, who upholding all things by the word of His power, when He sat down, after He had Himself purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, being much better than the angels, that's Jesus, because He hath obtained a more excellent name than, I, than they, the angels. And then it goes on to say in Hebrews 1 that God commanded all the angels to worship Jesus. Now, do you wonder why Satan rebelled up in the heavens? Satan was one of the angels. He was the hierarchy, at the top of the hierarchy of angel kind. That displeased him that he's going to worship a person called Jesus, who is both God and man, but Lucifer, the, the archangel, is going to be required to worship Jesus in his manhood. And he couldn't handle that. And he rebelled. And that's not the purpose of our lesson today, so we won't go down that any further. So let's go to point two. Now the one eternal God, hear this, in his being. Remember there's only one God, so there's only one being. There's only one essence. There's only one nature. Your body, soul, and spirit, but you're not three. You're not one person in your spirit, then another person in your soul and your body, or we'd all be triplets here. God is one. And in the unity of His being, His body, soul, correction, He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Number three, there are three distinct persons in the divine essence. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are co-equal and co-eternal. Now, we need to take a break now and open our Bibles. So we're going to look now at some verses in Scripture. Let me summarize Matthew 3, 16, and 17 and save a moment of time. Jesus appears at the river Jordan. He wants to be what? Baptized. Come on. Help me now. Bible study. So Jesus is going to be baptized. Jesus is the God-man who is coming down to fulfill all, all, all righteousness. Jesus will be living in perfection to become the perfect sacrifice. So he wants to be baptized. 
Does God call Christians to baptism? Baptism is a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace that we come under in baptism. So that's, baptism is important. It's absolutely absurd for Christians to ask a question, can I be saved without baptism? Now, did I say that baptism replaces the blood of Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. So, when Jesus was baptized, who appeared in the form of a dove? The Holy Spirit. In the words of St. Matthew and other Gospels, the Holy Spirit made His presence. The Holy Spirit is not a breath. He's not like electricity. The Holy Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit is as fully God as Jesus is fully God, as the Father is fully God. All three persons of the triune God are fully God. Just as significantly as your spirit is essential to your life, your soul has an indispensable part and role to play in your life, and your body is why God has commanded us to take care of our bodies. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye will present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Romans 12, 1. Now, you know that your body and soul and spirit are equally important. I cannot say that the spirit of our existence is greater than our body. Why would God have your body resurrected in an age to come? God is never going to be done with your body. If you are a Christian and you are under the blood of the Lamb and have been redeemed, and you die, you will either be translated or resurrected. In either event, your body will be preserved. It's part of who you are, and that is why you need to take care of your body in this world. So you can be all that God wants you to be and not be crippled by the horrific things people do to their body. That's the reason, young people, that God does not want you to write graffiti on your body. What right do we have to disfigure God's body? Your body is His property. Take care of it. What right do we have to char our lungs up with tobacco smoke? We don't have any right to do that. What right do we have to tantalize and brutalize our brain with alcohol? I beseech ye therefore by the mercies of God 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So back to our worksheet now. What we need to do now, people, is to show from the Bible, from the written Word of God, how that all three members of the triune God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, work in unison, just like your spirit, soul, and body work in unison to make you what you are. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, to think about Matthew 28, 19. Now, these are the words of Jesus himself. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus spoke to his apostles and he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, be careful. Who did God promise to be the father of many nations? His very name means father, multitude of many nations. Who is that? Abraham. Abraham. So maybe it would be good for you to jot the, the chapters 17 of Genesis out to the side of Matthew 28, 19. To give you a context. You do not read the Bible out of context to build a pretext for heretical teaching. The Bible will define itself. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, hello, in the name, singular, in the name, not names, the name, singular, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost or Spirit. Amen. Now, that's the words of Jesus. Do you see that Jesus, in the baptismal announcement, uses all members of the triune God, all persons of the one God, just like you are one person, but in your spirit, soul, and body, all three are playing a role as you sit here today. Right now, this moment, your soul is engaged. Your intellect is at work. And if you are seeking to please God, your spirit is activated. So with your body, your fingers are opening the pages of the Bible. I'm just simply saying that Every part of you is in play, in motion. Just like the baptism, when Jesus said, everyone that is going to be baptized will be baptized in the name of, singular, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, when you hear that benediction, when we close the benediction, St. Paul will use a benediction. The Apostle John will use a benediction. The Apostles clearly knew and left biblical tracts for us to follow. Second Corinthians 13, chapter 13, is an excellent example of that and 
what Paul said was at the end of that book, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of, of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All three members of the triune God. He ended that book. So your Bible ought to make reference to that. See, you need to be a Bible-grounded Christian. You will not be drug off into Jehovah's Witness heresy. You will not be drug off into remnant identity heresy. You will stay on the path of biblically sound exegetical truth if you follow God's word and not listen to heretical ideas. Just read your Bibles. Follow the Bible. Follow the truth wherever it leads you. And you'll not be wrong. So let's go then. Now we've looked at Matthew 28, 19, witness number one. We've looked at 2 Corinthians 13, 14, witness number two. But let's go to John's gospel. Now this time, we're going to look closely with both eyes, minds engaged, and turn in your Bible to John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 16. John 14, 16. As soon as you're there, would you raise your hand so I'll know that you're there? Okay. Everybody's getting to John 14, 16. So now we're in a Bible study. I'm not preaching this. I'm not preaching now. We're studying the Bible. John 14, 16. And I, that's Jesus, will pray who? The Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he, personal pronoun he, he, the Holy Spirit is fully God. He's not less than Jesus. He's not less than the Father. The Holy Spirit is your advocate on this earth today. And every morning you wake up, you need His advocacy with you. We all need the Holy Spirit. He's our advocate on earth as Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our attorney petitioning the great I am that I am in His full glory. He's our advocate for God to preserve His remnant. Amen. Jesus is making advocacy for us in heaven. The Holy Spirit, the Parakletos, is our advocate on earth. He has many names. He's the Comforter. He's the, the Spirit of Truth. He has a mind. In fact, we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Amen. You cannot grieve electricity. Amen. You don't grieve the wind. Amen. You don't grieve some non-existent Amen. person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Yes. And don't wound Him. Don't offend Him. 
Do not offend him. Why? There's one unforgivable sin. Do I dare say it? One unforgivable sin under heaven. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, there's many ways that we can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You know how we can blaspheme the Holy Spirit? If we lie, we just blaspheme the Holy Spirit. All sin is a grief to the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of your redemption. So we're commanded not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit is grieved beyond words by race mixing? When we mix the genetics of two races together, we have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Do you ever wonder why Deuteronomy 23 verse 2 says that a bastard, thank you, that's not Baptist, that's bastard, shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord even unto the tenth generation. I didn't write the Bible, God did. But as a Christian, you better do business with all the Bible and not cherry pick the verses you want to live by. Don't you dare become a cherry picker of verses in the Bible that you can say, these are my, this is my theology. You know what your theology must be? From Genesis 1-1 to the last word in Revelation 22. That's your theology. And we're responsible to God for all the words that He has revealed. In fact, Deuteronomy 29-29 says this, Secret things belong to the Lord our God. There's a lot of things that God has never revealed to us. There's some things that he reveals on a need-to-know basis. That's why some people may have a vision tonight. But there are certain things that God has revealed that we and our children, Deuteronomy 29, 29, might keep all the words of this law. Hear ye, hear ye. That's why we must be Absolutely a Bible-believing, Bible-grounded, Bible-rooted church body. We must stay grounded on Scripture, church. And it does matter what Bible you read from. It does matter. Yes, it does. Why does it matter? Because the first assault made in this world against God was to try to cast doubt on the veracity and the truthfulness of his word. The serpent said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan tried to question the authority, the veracity, the truthfulness of God's word. You wonder why that we now have over 100 Bibles in English now? 
Hundreds of Bibles are being produced. And every one of them is a copyrighted Bible and somebody is merchandising God's Word. Do you know what they have to do to copyright a Bible? They have to change the wording. You can't copyright a new edition of the Bible unless you alter a certain percentage of that Bible. There is a Bible that has no copyright. There is a Bible that for over 400 years has guided the Western world. There is a Bible, the most despised Bible translation in the world. It's called the Authorized King James Bible of the English-speaking world. It is a first cousin to Martin Luther's German translation. It is a first cousin to the Afrikan translation of the Bible. They're all good Bibles. It's a brother to the Geneva Bible, but it's hard to read. More power to you if you want to read from a Geneva Bible. Now, let's look at John 16, verse verse 16, chapter 14. How many will agree that all three members of the triune God are here in John 14, verse 16? Now, if you are honest with God, you must acknowledge there is a triunity in the one true living God. Let's go to another verse. This time, we will go to John 14, 26. John 14, 26. Can we read this together? But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. We have Jesus speaking. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit is there. Whom, I will, whom the Father will send in my name. All three members of the triune God are right here in John's Gospel. The only way that people deny the Trinity is to deny the very Word of God. And may God have mercy on their souls because they're going to need His mercy. In a denial of the triune nature of God. But let's go to John 15, 26. John 15, 26. Again now. But when the Comforter is come. Now the word Comforter, English word Comforter is out of the Greek parakletos. And it means helper alongside. Advocate to assist you through this world and this life. Oh my goodness church, how important the Comforter is. The Holy Spirit. So it says here in John 15, 26, but when the Comforter is come, whom I, Jesus, will send unto you from who? The Father. Why do we read 
in the creed that Nathan calls for whenever he has morning prayer. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father through the Son. They didn't just write those words down in 325 A.D. when they were blowing smoke. No. They're Bible-founded words. When the Comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, that's another name for the Holy Spirit, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now, we're going to end this lesson by simply saying and reading from number four in our worksheet, the three distinct persons in the Godhead. Now think of the word Godhead. Why do we need to know what that word means? Because it appears in the Bible three times. Wonder why three. Three times. And it is found in Romans 1.20, Colossians 2.9, Acts 17.29. And it's simply talking, church. The word Godhead is just a simple word, not to be difficult at all. It identifies that in the being or essence of the one true God I am that I am, the great eternal I am that I am, in that one great eternal God, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, in closing today, you remember we started out and we said that if you say, what is God? He's the creator. He's the designer. He's benevolent. He's good. He's altogether righteous. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. All-knowing. He's omnipresent everywhere at all times in all places. Do you know that that sovereign God knows today what is on Biden's mind? Do you know he knows everyone that is out to, to ruin America? Do you know that he knows who hates the white people of the world? He knows their plan to destroy his people. And your God is in the heaven, and the Bible says that he will laugh at them. That he will have them in utter, what's the word? Derision. That's confusion. So people, if you want to see change in America, we need to make our lives right with God. So that God will hear the prayers of a God-fearing, Bible-believing, blood-war, spirit-filled Christian. That's what we need to do. So, here's the final thought. God our Father 
is no more powerful than God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. Whatever God the Father can do, the Holy Spirit can do, the Son can do, because they are all fully God. It would be like you saying that I cannot say my spirit is greater than my soul. My soul is not greater than my spirit. And my spirit is not greater than my body. Because that's why God is going to resurrect your body. He loves your body. God gave you your body. Take care of it. Watch what goes in your body. You are God's temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in this temple. And we need to feed the temple properly. Important. So I can't leave here today and say that Jesus Christ is greater than the Father. Nor can I say the Father is greater than Jesus. Nor can I say that anyone is greater than the Holy Spirit. So when I leave here today, I'm going to be armed with my advocate called the Holy Spirit. And I've got an advocate in heaven. His name is Jesus. And one day he will split the clouds with his glory and come back to rule and reign on this earth. Now church, let's all be standing and don't turn it off yet. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a benediction here in a minute. We're going to have a song, but I want to say this. Hebrews 12 Verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about, help me, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Hey, 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 can you do that now? Lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the, the joy that was before him despised not to suffer the death upon a what? The cross. So let us run the race and let us run the race to win. Amen. Throw away the crutches. If you're, if you're using a spiritual walker, toss it in the dumpster. Stand up be a soldier. Square your shoulders. Face the world. Look the devil in the eye. And be brave. Be courageous. After all, God bless you.